I love that God has given us the weapon of worship. It's so powerful, isn't it? Doesn't matter what's going on, we lift Him up and that's, that's all that matters. Everything else just falls away as soon as we get into that place. Hallelujah. Thanks, team. Let's give the team a hand clap. These guys serve so faithfully every Thursday night, coming in for practice, sharing the gift that's on their lives with us. All right, so this morning I'm going to be talking about, this is actually the title of my message, and it's His Provision for His Paths. So His Provision for His Paths. And I'm going to be talking about how we as children of God, we're designed to walk in His paths. You know, when Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it was so that would be seen in each and every single one of our lives. Amen. And, you know, I love the statement that Jesus used so often. He said, uh, he said to His disciples, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And He also said to the rich man, sell all you have and come follow me. There it is again, come follow me. And then I love what He said to uh, Peter just after Jesus rose from the cross. They're sitting on the beach, they're having breakfast. And Peter looks over at John and goes, Lord, what about him? He's looking over there, what about him? And Jesus says, if he is to remain until I come, what is that to you? And again, He says, you follow me. And so, you know, that's what He's saying to us this morning, guys, that we get to follow Him and it's in that following that, you know, our path has been cleared to see His kingdom come and His will be done. And, you know, on my notes here, I've got a little a picture of a forest and there's an opening there and the track, it's, the path has been cleared. And, you know, that's just kind of a parallel for what Jesus did on the cross. He cleared the way. He defeated the last enemy. Amen. Um, yesterday... Who's done the Coconut Wells float? Has anyone done that? So much fun. We've got some people here who live out there. But um, yeah, it's so much fun. I haven't done it for about 10 years. And for those of you who've got no idea what I'm talking about, you, it's only on certain tides and you go out on a really big tide. Before the tide comes in, you walk through the dry lagoon and it's about a, um, about a 40 minute walk or so. I went with three, two other mums. So there was three mums and there was eight kids. <laughs> so you can imagine we were heard going up that dry, dry lagoon. But uh, you walk all the way to the top where the ocean comes in and then you wait for the tide to come in. And as the tide comes in, you've got your floaty things and you just sit and you just cruise all the way back to where your car is. And it's so, it's so much fun. If you haven't done it, you should do it. But it's funny that, you know, God spoke to me in this and it's, it's what my message is about today really is that, you know, the paths that God has for us, the provision that God has for us, the grace, the favour there for us to advance His kingdom, it's actually already been done in Christ. So, you know, I'm hopping in this floaty thing and I'm looking up at the bank and I'm thinking, how much easier is it to just sit in this floaty thing and the, and the um, tide takes you all the way back to your car and you can just sit back and it's super relaxing, it's lovely. But then I'm looking up at the bank thinking, I could if I wanted to actually get up on the bank and walk all the way back, <laughs> but it's so much easier just sitting and floating. And you know, that's what it's like when we're walking in His paths and His provision and the thing about that is that's so amazing, you know, we can talk about His grace and His favour on that, those paths, is that the tide is going to come in regardless of whether I'm up on the bank walking or whether I'm in the floaty thing. 
You know, and that's the grace of God. He's already done it. And we, and his, we as his people get to walk in it. I love what Hebrews 12 says about Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. He's not just the finisher. He's not just at the end going, yeah, I'm over here, you know, all the best, hurry up, let's go home. No, it says he's the author of it. And the Amplified version actually says he initiates and perfects our faith. You know, doesn't that just imply that he's not just at the beginning, he's in the middle, he's with every step that we take, he's there making a way. Um, Pastor Pete made a statement a few weeks ago when he was preaching and I just, it just got me and, and he said, don't labour for what you can just receive. You know, one of the biggest revelations that I've received in my Christian walk besides my identity in Christ is the fact that the Christian life is not about us trying to make things happen for ourselves. It's about us receiving what he gave. Amen, there's such a difference there. You know, one leads to striving, one is hard. You are up on that bank and you are walking all the way back and that's hard when you can just jump into the river of grace. Amen. So before we open our Bibles, that kind of sets the scene for what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Let's just pray. We'll pray over the Word. Father God, we just thank you that you have given us your Word, Lord God. Father, and that you said in your Word that we're born of the incorruptible seed of your Word, Father, that each one of us carries something of you, Father God. And we thank you that your Word gives us light, Father God. It shows us where to go, Father. And we just thank you that our hearts are open this morning to receive. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I love what John the Baptist said. He said, a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. Wow, what a statement there. And so, you know, I just really believe through this message that God is wanting us as children of him to come into a position where we're receiving what he is so willing to pour out. You know, it says in the Bible that we can frustrate the grace of God. You know, we come into the kingdom by grace, through faith. It's how we accept Jesus. And it's how we continue to receive. By grace, meaning he's done it. We didn't make it happen. He did it. And we reach out by faith and grab it. And, you know, the devil often will try and talk us out of our part. We get too caught up in, you know, oh, what can I do? And we almost get into fear of failure. We'll start to kick in if we get too focused on our part and we shift the focus uh, off him and to ourselves. I love when God appeared to Moses. Actually, let's turn there, guys. We're going to go to Exodus uh, chapter 3. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Who's got their Bibles today? John. No. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3. And let's go to verse 9. Verse 9. Okay, so it starts out by saying, Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. Now therefore, behold, this is God talking to Moses. He says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Wow. 
What a commissioning there. And, you know, so Moses, uh, in the next verse, he says, in verse 11, he says, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So it's kind of like he's saying, okay, God, God, you've said this, but I'm now going to look at myself. Who am I to do that? Who, Who am I to go and go to Pharaoh and speak? But who knows that it's not who Moses is, it's who God is. The fact that God was with him. Amen. And then over, uh, I lo- <laughs> he says it again in, in uh, chapter four. He says it again. He's thinking, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting a bit caught up on my part here. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. How can I do this, God? In, in uh, chapter four, verse one, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they will say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And then the next verse, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod, cast it onto the ground. And he cast it onto the ground and it became a serpent. And so then God goes and does a series of miracles and shows Moses, I am with you. And I love the way God responded there to Moses because it's like he said, you can't do my part. Only I can do my part. I was reading through um, an old diary of mine from year nine, quite, quite hilarious actually, to read what you wrote when you were 13. And um, I found these few pages in the middle of this diary and I just thought, wow. <laughs> and it's me writing to God and I'm saying, God, I really, and this is you know, the words of a 13-year-old, God, I really want to get up in front of my class and tell them and, you know, it's a little bit legalistic about what I'm about to say in my diary. And I'm like, I want to tell them that if you don't choose Jesus, that you are going to the bad place, is what I wrote. And it's this whole thing of me, this stirring inside of me, wanting to get up and share in front of my class as a 13-year-old and tell them, give them the gospel message. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, God has placed something on the inside of every single one of us. And it's something that he gave. You know, in Ephesians 4, it says, to each one, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And, you know, back then, I didn't know that I was called to fivefold ministry, but God was preparing me. And I love that it says that he himself gave gifts to men. It says the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and the teacher. But it says he himself gave. I didn't try and make something happen or you know, try and conjure something up. I didn't try really hard. No, it says he himself gave. And a lot of the time, you know, insecurity, pride or shame, it prevents us from taking hold of what God actually wants to do. You know, he says, focus on me. Don't, fo- don't focus on your part. Step into my part and focus on me. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. First Corinthians 15, 9 and 10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, this is Paul speaking, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he's saying, I've got all this stuff in my past. I've persecuted the church of God. I've done all of this. But imagine if he just stopped there and that was it, that was the end of the verse. 
he goes on, verse 10, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you just speak that over yourself this morning and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen. And then he says, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than you all. But what was labouring? The next part of that verse says, yet not I, but it was the grace of God which was within me. Aren't we so thankful that it's the grace of God that labours and not us? I just keep thinking of that, that lagoon float, in that floaty, floating down the river. He's done it by grace, we receive by faith. Let's go to Genesis 39. I'm going to talk about Joseph for a little bit now. And there's two things I want to highlight in Joseph's life. The first thing I want to highlight is that he had favour on his life. We all know that. Uh, And the second thing I want to highlight is that he had a dependence on God. So who knows that the favour on Joseph's life, it wasn't just so he could wear a lovely colourful coat and look at me, I've got favour on my life. He was marked from a young age because God had something for him to do. Amen. So let's turn to Genesis 39 as we have a bit of a look at this. So we know that Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. They seen the favour, they didn't like it. They threw him in a hole and then he gets sold to Egypt. That's the sort of the long short of it. But I know you guys are probably familiar with the life of Joseph. So let's start, uh, 39, let's start at... Let's start at verse 1. And it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And I love verse 2. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse 3 says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. And verse 4 says, So Joseph found favour in his sight and he served him. So, you know, wherever Joseph went, he found favour in the sight of God so God could fulfil his purposes through him. And then we know that uh, after that he gets put into prison and again he finds favour in the prison with the guard. He becomes the, the top guy there. But again, it says that the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Amen. And you know, that favour that Joseph had on his life, we've got that exact favour on our life. Amen. So it's in, in Luke four nineteen, Jesus said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's why he's here. He said, I came to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted. And then he said, I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The amplified version of that says, the day when salvation and favours of God profusely abound. Hallelujah. That's the, that's the age of grace that we're in at the moment. Can you say I have the favour of God on my life? Amen. It's not something that you need to earn. It's just there because Jesus gave it. I've got a cousin who's um, 14 and it's funny. He just carries the favour of God, but in a really particular kind of area. From a young age when he was a little boy, uh, my uncle would be with him at a restaurant and my cousin would 
end up kind of gravitating towards um, the, all the older couples, you know, Nana and Grandad and, and all, all the older generation. And he would end up sitting at their table and just kind of talking to them. And, and, you know, my uncle's like, well, this is quite interesting. But it's something that he's carried, you know, at every stage of his life. He just kind of finds favour with, with the oldies. And he um, was in the caravan park where we're living at the moment a few weeks ago and he got talking to, a, to an older gentleman. Um, you know, I, I was actually listening. They're over the other side of the Ayuna and they were just talking for about half an hour and I thought, so funny, you know. And then he comes back just happy. I'm like, oh, you're talking to? He goes, oh, just this, this gentleman over here and tells me his life story. I was like, oh, cool. And anyway, this man comes to Greg, my husband, last week and says, hey, where's, where's your cousin there? I've got a TV I want to give him. <laughs> and so we're like, okay. That's... But he just carries favour in that area. And I love that. And every single one of us has that favour. Amen. And the second point that I want to point out in Joseph's life is the fact that he had such a dependence on God. He had such a dependence on God. Let's go to Genesis 40. You're already there in Genesis. And down to verse 8. So this is when it comes to um, interpreting the prisoner's dreams. So, you know, if you think about it, he, he thought he probably made it when he hit Potiphar's house and he's going, yeah, this is it. This is what God's got for me. But then he ends up in prison. <laughs> you, can't, you know, he could have he gotten bitter. He could have gone, oh, there's no hope, that's it. But I love, you know, he was looking for any opportunity for God to be able to shine through him. He knew he had the favour of God on him. Didn't matter what his circumstance looked like. He was in prison. But he was like, I've still got that favour with you, Lord. So when there was a chance to interpret a dream, uh, 40 verse 8, it says, And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter. And then, so Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So I just love that he had that dependence on God. And again, he got to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he says, do not interpretations belong to God? He was leaning on God. You know, sometimes we can get into this thing where instead of leaning evenly on both two feet, we start to lean more on one foot and it's us tr trying, it's us striving. And it, man, it gets uncomfortable leaning on one foot. We're supposed to co-labour with him and do it evenly. Amen, a dependence on God. And so the enemy... You know, sometimes he'll subconsciously get us over to this works thing. I know I've been there where it's the striving. Man, that is so exhausting. It is a horrible place to be in. And so, you know, I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, say something like hearing from God. You know, we can begin to put so much emphasis on oh, God, am I hearing you correctly? Or have I, have I got this ability to hear you? And I just, you know, we start to get so focused. We're leaning on that one leg on, am I hearing you correctly? Rather than focusing on his faithfulness to guide us. And see how it's such a subtle thing there. You know, we know that the enemy is a deceiver. That's the only weapon he's got. He's defeated, but he'll come in in our mind if we allow him. And the other one that I was getting was, you know, just say if we're, we're um, standing on a belief for healing. God, I'm believing you for healing. You know, I know that healing, you said it's the children's bread. Thank you, Lord, by your stripes I was healed. God, I know that this healing's going to come. 
But what can happen sometimes is we can get so focused on if we've got enough faith rather than the one we have faith in. Amen? See the, see the subtle thing there? And it, it robs us. That, that, um, that attitude, that mindset, it robs us of what God has done. You know, we don't need to add to what He did. We just need to receive how? By having faith in what He did. I'm preaching the gospel message here this morning, guys. This is the finished work of Jesus. You hear me talk about how we live in a caravan park and lots of fun. There's always heaps of kids around. <laughs> I never need to organise a play date. My kids are always just off playing. Uh, last week or the week before, I thought, I got up at seven and I thought, said to my kids, I'm just going to go for a quick walk around the caravan park. I'll be 10 minutes. Just, just stay. Don't do anything. Just stay. <laughs> so I've gone for my walk and, you know, just praying and da, da, da. And then I come back inside and there's like three kids who I've never seen before sitting on the floor and they're all eating jam on toast. And I'm like, hi, how are you guys? Are you, where are you from? Does your mum know you're here? And anyway, my eldest daughter, she's so beautiful. She, she, she was making herself breakfast. These kids come knocking on the door and she thought, you guys want some breakfast? So anyway, they were like, sure, there's jam on toast going. Beauty, we'll have some jam on toast. So I come back to five kids eating jam on toast, including my kids. And I thought, you know, the Bible talks about childlike faith. Not one of those kids was like, oh, okay, well, I would really like some jam on toast, but um, should I go get my own butter? Or how about, do, do I need to bring uh, some jam? Or what about a knife or, or a plate? Kids just know how to receive. They're not trying to add to what God's done. He's already done it. And that's the same as us. Hallelujah. Childlike faith, coming to Him, knowing that He delights in giving. It says, freely you have received, now freely give. Amen. Now, we can't talk about the provision of God and receiving what he gave without talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is one of the really famous passages of, of what Jesus said to his disciples. John chapter 14. Now, before I get into this story, I just want to share something as well. Um, a dear man that was quite instrumental in my Nana's life and in my dad's life, discipled them. Uh, I ended up uh, going on a holiday down south, a little coastal town down south with my family and found out that this gentleman was living in this town. And, I, and my Nana said, you've got to meet up with him. Like they hadn't seen him for like 30 years or something, but they said, you've got to meet up with him. Couldn't really find him on Facebook, couldn't, didn't have his number, but they said he sets up a little church every Sunday in front of this cafe and I thought, okay, I just feel like this is a God thing. God, I feel like you want me to go and meet him. So this Sunday morning, I wrote my mum into coming. She wasn't that keen, but I was like, come on, mum, you're going to get something out of this. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so anyway, it's freezing. We're rugged up. We're waiting for this guy to turn up, his little open-air church that he does. Uh, it said 9 o'clock on the sign. Anyway, 10 o'clock comes. You see him walking across the road, and I was like, it was quite random because I was thinking, I hope he remembers my family. Anyway, I walked up to him and said, 
oh, you might know my nana and my dad. And anyway, he said, of course I do. And we ended up having a chat and, and he said, well, I'm about to do my church. You guys probably don't want to stay for this. It'll be quite boring Christian stuff. And I was like, no, no, I'm a Christian. Like, well, I'm happy to stay for your service. You do whatever you want to do. And anyway, he starts sharing his testimony. This guy so faithfully sets up every Sunday. We were the only ones there. There was no one else there. It was him and his wife. They're in their 80s. Just so faithful. Anyway, he starts sharing his testimony. And man, it impacted me. He probably only spoke for 10 minutes, but he was saying... You know, he was baptised into the Church of England and he had his religion and, you know, he was baptised when he was, you know, six months old or, or whatever it is there. And, and he said he got to a, a point in his life, he was in his 30s, he had his daughter, his wife, um, and they had a tragedy happened and they ended up with no money. He end, cut a long story short, he ends up scoring a job off the Kimberley Coast driving a tug. He didn't know how to drive a tug but he just kind of scores this job, but he really needed the money, he took it. He ends up getting into a life and death situation to the point where his decky was at the end of the boat, ready to jump off. He looks behind and the decky's like, just ready to jump off. Anyway, he avoids, avoids the tragedy, but he reckons in that moment, he heard John 14, 6, and that's why I'm taking you to John 14, 6. And it, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he thought in his head, oh, not this Jesus stuff. You know, as soon as you start talking about this Jesus stuff, it gets super personal. Like, I'm good. I've, the Church of England, nothing against the Church of England. That was just his upbringing. You know, I've, I've been baptised when I'm six months old. I'm good. But then it came again, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one shall come to the Father except through me. And then he heard, heard that Sunday school song that says, yes, Jesus loves me. And he reckons in that moment he was just undone. He gave his heart to the Lord. He gave his heart to Jesus. And he came into a personal relationship with Jesus. And, you know, God is always leading us to the victory that Jesus paid for. Let's get into that scripture, otherwise I'm never going to read it. <laughs> John chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 1. And it says... Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. What's Jesus doing? Previously, uh, the Jewish people, the way to get to God was through obedience to the, to the law. Jesus is saying, you've believed in God. I'm showing you a new way. Believe in me. Verse 2. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place to you for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I may be, there you may be also. And verse 4 says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. I was reading that statement going, wow, where I go, you know, and the way you know. So he's not only saying, you know, you don't only know the end destination, but you're going to know the how, you're going to know the way. How could he be so bold in, in saying that? Because he was saying, you know me. And then in verse 5, Thomas said, and I think I probably would have said exactly what Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then verse 6, that famous statement that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So His victory is our victory, amen? His victory over sin is our victory. His victory over shame is our victory. His victory over fear, it's our victory. His victory over the enemy, it's our victory. Hallelujah. He did it, we get to walk in it. And you know, the world, they're so not aware of this. I would come across a little cartoon on a, on a caravan and camping page. And it's, I should have actually given this to Mark to put up, but that's okay. So it's a picture of an angel standing behind a pulpit in the clouds and he looks kind of grumpy and he's standing there and there's a line of people, you know, the world's perception of how you get into heaven. And the guy is standing there like looking really nervous and the caption is, well, and because it's a caravan and camping page, and the caption is, well, you almost made it, except for your language when you backed in the RV into camping sites. And so you can, you can see the, the comedy in it, you know, that's, but that just goes to show that's what the world thinks about how to get to heaven. Imagine if it was like that. That sort of attitude put me off Christianity when I was younger. I thought, God, it's too hard. How can I ever be good enough for this? And I ended up walking away from it. And it wasn't until I got a revelation of the grace of God. And not only that, the finished work at the cross. Hallelujah. You know, our kids, they're so funny. They teach us so much about faith and they just believe. They don't question, they just believe. And <laughs> occasionally one of them will come up and say, oh, I'm not feeling well. I don't want to go to school today. And I'm like, really? Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm sick. And I'm like, okay, come here and I'll pray for you then. And they're just like, no, don't do that. No, 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 mum, no, no. Because they know. that like, mum, no, 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 I need to stay sick because I want to be home. So funny. And, you know, I like to think of healing. If anyone's got a healing need today, come forward after and we're going to pray with you. We're going to agree with you. But I like to think of healing as, you know, you know when you blow up a balloon and you pop it with a pin, so you're blowing the balloon up, you're blowing, you're blowing, you're blowing. That part of it is like the grace of God. So it's like grace, 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 grace. We didn't do any of that. He did it. Grace. You tie it up. Our job, ping, it's faith. Does that make sense? When God spoke that to me, I was like, oh, there's such rest in that, Lord. Hallelujah. You guys good? You good for a bit more? I'll finish on time, I promise. Oh, what? Mark, you found it. There you go. Isn't that true though? And that's why we as Christians, we as believers, we need to know the gospel message. We need to know the truth because who wants that? You know, it's like that is hard. That's exhausting. That's striving. The Bible says that there's none good enough. No, not one. Only him. And we get to walk in that. Praise you, Lord. All right. Let's go to Nehemiah. This is the last one, I promise. Let's go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Thank you, Father. Nehemiah. So we can't talk about the provision of God, the grace of God, the hand of God on our life without talking about the Word of God. Amen? I'll just start by saying, if we're not taking the Word of God and setting it over those areas of our lives that don't measure up, that don't look like what was promised, we're not taking hold of God's provision for us. So Nehemiah chapter 4. 
You guys, uh, where are we going to start? Not going to read the whole chapter. Let's start uh, in verse 6. You guys can just put a, put a finger in there, but I'm just going to go back to chapter 1 and just to kind of set the stage. You guys are probably familiar with the story of Nehemiah, but I love Nehemiah gets it in his heart to go and rebuild the walls. He finds out that Jerusalem is just in ruins and he's like, oh God. The first thing that Nehemiah does, he prays to God and what he does is he brings God's word before God. He's saying, God, this is what you said to Moses. God, remember you said this? So he had a standard. He knew what to go after. He knew what God wanted to do. And it's amazing that through uh, the rebuilding of the wall, because Nehemiah was um, a cupbearer to the king of Persia, he had such favour. The hand of God was on what he needed Nehemiah to do to the point where the king actually gives him timber from his own forest to go and uh, build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Amazing. You know, God can give us favour wherever we are. He was in an enemy nation. Hallelujah. All right, verse four. Uh, sorry, chapter four. Did I say verse six? Yep. Okay, so verse six says, So we built the wall... And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. So you can see that there's people around him, there's unity. They're all going, yep, let's do this. Let's rebuild the wall. And if we keep reading down, actually, no, let's jump down to verse eight because it says that um, all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create great confusion But it says, nevertheless, we made it our prayer to God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So he's saying, okay, there's some enemies coming against what we want to do here. Let's set a watch. Let's set a watch against them. And if we jump down to verse 13, we're going to really get to what I want to get to here. I'm making Mark work for it. I might just randomly throw in a few scriptures to know. (laughs) No, no, we're going to 4.13. Thanks, Mark. And it says... Therefore, let's see what he does. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. I set the people according to their families with their swords, with their spears and with their bows. So there's openings in the wall. The wall's built to half the height, but there's some openings in the walls. There's some, some parts of the wall that, it's a, that is a bit lower. And so what does he do? He sets people according to their families, with their swords, with their spears and with their bows. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I'm like, isn't it interesting that one of the weapons mentioned there is the sword, the sword of the spirit. And it's like God was saying, you know, these areas in our lives that represent the lower parts of the wall, the weaker parts, the parts that maybe we're not, uh, haven't got hold of a truth yet of what the word, word of God says, or there's something in our life that's, you know, not measuring up to what God said. In these lower parts of the wall, we set the sword of the Spirit over them. You know, it may not uh, look like what it needs to, but I know that that's not the end. Hallelujah. Taking hold of a promise. And, you know, I was thinking about this and I don't know if anyone's seen um, the surf club got completely smashed down for a while there. It was just all rubble. It, It literally looked like a demolition site because it was. There was just everything was everywhere. And if you go and look at that, you'd think, gosh, what's that about? What a big mess. 
And, you know, I've been there in my life where things have just been such a mess. It's looked like that demolition site. But what happens, what, what they did at the surf club there is that they had a big, a big sign and it was what it was going to be. So if you look at the sign, you think, oh, that's okay. Well, that's what they're doing. You know, there's a nice building and grass area and that's where they're going with that. This is what we're to do with the Word of God. Set it over those areas. Take the provision of the Word. It's not the end. If it's a mess, that is not the end. Amen. I love what it says in Psalm 119. Remember the word to your servant. Psalm 119, 49 to 50. It says, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. The word of God, there's such hope in it because it's like that sign. It's looking like this at the moment, but God, I know you're not done. If you are for me, who can be against me? Hallelujah. It's like that sign. This is where we're going. But see, the enemy would have us focus on the demolition site, wouldn't he? But God's saying that's not the end. I'm the author. I'm the finisher. I'm the one who initiate and perfects your faith. Hallelujah. Let him do it, guys. I love what Romans 8.15 says. Romans 8.15, and we're just about done. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He never leads us into fear or hesitation or lack of vision. He leads us into sonship. He leads us into co-labouring with Jesus. You know, if we haven't got faith about something, it's because we haven't heard what God wants to do about it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. And you know, the provision that's on our lives, the favour of God, the hand of God, all these things that I've been talking about this morning, these are on our lives because it's about those around us. Again, like I spoke about Joseph, it's not just so we can wear a wonderful coat and parade around and, oh, I'm wonderful. No, God puts favour on your life because he wants to impact those around you. You know, if we think about when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, how radical would have that been? The disciples would have been like, what are you doing? No, no, get, get Jesus, we've got servants for that. What are you doing? But he goes ahead and he washes every single person's feet. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, you must become the least. Hallelujah. You know, Greg and I, a few months ago, COVID hit the home. We're all good, but it was when we all had to quarantine. So we all ended up staying home for the week. And we thought, oh, we're going to use this time, you know. We're going to use this time and we're going to just spend some time in worship and in prayer and make sure, you know, we're in the word and, and just try and be fruitful. And, you know, we were, and, it, and that was really awesome. But I thought, if we just kind of stayed home and never really got out amongst the people, we would have missed our calling. It's always about others. The kingdom of God is about people. All right, and this is the last scripture we're going to go to, guys, and then I'll get the worship team back up. It's John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Hallelujah. I really feel like this is where God wanted us to finish this morning. Thank you, Father. John chapter 15, 4 to 5. It says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Verse 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, what happens? Bears much fruit. And then he says, for without me you can do nothing. Oh my goodness. You know, the fruit in our lives, if, if, if you look at a big, big tree that's full of fruit, say the mango trees in the wet season, you know, they grow everywhere. We've got them everywhere in the caravan park. We've got all the common ones. They're still delicious. They're, they're everywhere. And sometimes no one picks them. What happens when no one picks the fruit? It just, it goes rotten. It falls off. Nothing, nothing comes of it. The fruit in our lives is always for others. It's about others to be able to come and pick and receive. And, you know, so I just want you guys to have just a fresh um, release of faith this morning that God is with you. His favour is on every single one of your lives, independent of what you've ever done. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your past, that his favour is there. Hallelujah. You guys get blessed. Amen. All right, let's stand. Let's ask the worship team back up. Thank you, Father. And I just believe that us as a church at the moment, we're in such a season of grace. God is saying, come to me and ask. Come to me and ask. It's just the beginning of what he wants to do in your life at the moment. And I the other day I got Ephesians 3.20 and I just felt the Holy Spirit really on it saying, stir this up in your lives. And Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or think. Think of the best thing you've ever thought of, the best destiny, the best future, the best job, whatever it is, you know, the biggest reach you can ever have. God's going to do better than that. God wants to do even better than that. But a lot of the time we miss out the part that it says, the next part of this verse. It says, according to the power at work in us. Hallelujah. He wants to do it through his church. No one gets to miss out on this, guys. So good. Praise your mighty Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father. Just turn your heart towards him this morning, guys. Thanks, soul. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. We just lift you up this morning, Father God. Praise you, mighty Father. You're so good. You're so worthy of our praise. Thank you, Lord God. If there's anyone in here that has never received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, there's just a simple prayer. Like I said in this message, it's by grace through faith. You receive Him into your heart by a prayer. You can come into relationship with Him. You can come into friendship with Him, into communion with Him. If there's anyone here that would say, I don't know Jesus like that. I know of religions. I know of denominations. I know there's quite a few churches around town. Who knows that Jesus didn't die to give us a denomination. He died to give us a relationship. So if you don't know Jesus like that, I would love for you to come forward once this last song is played. And we can say a simple prayer and you can invite Him into your heart and your life will be forever changed. Hallelujah. 
Father God, we just thank you for the time in your word that we've had this morning, Lord God. And Father God, we just thank you for an awakening, Father, of that your people would know that we carry favour, Father. Know that we carry favour. Lord, and that favour's for a reason, Father. It's for others, Lord God. And Father God, I just speak, Father God, into the hearts of your people this morning that there's a dependence on you, Father God, that we not be the ones that get up in that sand dune and walk back, because that's hard. Father God, we just thank you that we can float down that river of grace, that river of mercy, Father. Father, that you gave, you did it, Lord God. And we're just so thankful, Father. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.